Hello and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Path Podcast. This is your host, Phelan Sugarman-Lash, and this is episode number five of season two. And actually, this is going to be the last episode of season two, which is music specifically. And whoa, that was a crazy voice crack. (laughs) And instead of doing just music, I'm going to go back to the way I did it in season one, and I'm going to get rid of seasons and just do all different kinds of people who are living all different kinds of lives, because I think it's a more interesting way to share content than just focusing on one specific thing, especially for this podcast. So Look forward to all different kinds of content and all different kinds of episodes and roles in the future. I hope you enjoy. So on this episode, I'm talking to Emma Benevich, and she is a really, really amazing singer, and she has just started recently, over the last few years, releasing some music of her own. She is a professionally trained uh, violaist and takes a lot of pride in her love for viola. So she is really an amazing human. And on this episode, we go deep into social justice and how you can explore that as, a, as an artist, more into her personal journey of coming to music and discovering it and how she's balanced different kinds of music careers, both as a professional classical uh, musician and also someone who wants to create more of her own pop and singer-songwriter vibes. So really, really interesting show if you're interested in starting music as a career. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Emma. And without further ado, here comes episode number five of season two, which is actually just episode 15. Thanks. But first, a word from our sponsors, and that sponsor is me. So if you would love to learn how to live your dreams and get someone to hold you accountable and teach you how to set action steps every week, reach out to me at phelan.com coach to learn more about how I can help you be on your authentic path today. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode. Three, two, one, zero. All right, Emma, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Super excited to hear your story. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Just to get started, I thought it would be good to hear a little bit of a general overview of your background as a human being and as a musician. And if you could just share kind of how you got into music and when what you're doing now too, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up with a very musical family. So my mom played flute and was a dancer. So very creative. And then my dad was a musician and still is. Um, He grew up playing drums and guitar and singing. And he was in a band called Jess Grew for a while that had opened up for the Romantics at one point and some other groups with bigger audiences. Um, But that dream of becoming a musician (laughs) did not take off for a full-time career. So he ended up going to college and just doing music as a side gig. So growing up, there was always music in the house. I was a super big Julie Austin fan. Julie Austin is a wonderful woman. (laughs) I was running around singing like, fan to gumbo diddy wide day fan to gumbo mate bait when I was little like all the time her songs they rocked um and I didn't end up learning an instrument until like six years old I think that's when my dad started teaching me like just a couple basic chords um but the classical part of my music did not start until I was like 11 when I was in sixth grade I think is when they cho- like tell you that you have to choose an instrument or choir or something like that for school. So I chose violin because I could already read treble clef and I was like, yes, <laughs> one less thing to do. So when I was in middle school and high school, my I had the same orchestra teacher and he 
put me in the position of concert master. So I was supposed to lead the orchestra and being in that leadership position was crazy for me because I'm not a leader at all in any way. I didn't think I was very shy, didn't really like to talk, but being forced to communicate with an entire group of musicians really made me a better and more confident person. So I'm really glad that that was pushed on me. And I'm super thankful that I was given that opportunity. And then when I entered college, I was actually also given a concert master position at my community college, which also was insane because I'm like, I'm a little college student and I was trusted again with that leadership position. And I felt ready at that point to take that on because I had already had a lot of experience doing that. And then when I moved to a university two years later, I was also given a principal position because I switched instruments. So I somehow managed to get principal viola, which also forced me <laughs> to be a leader in a new place. And I was very timid and very scared, but now I absolutely love it. And I'm so grateful that I was given that opportunity. So jumping back a little bit <laughs> from getting concert master, um, I always kind of didn't consider my hobby music a real thing, like playing the guitar and stuff like that. And I just really focused on my classical music all throughout high school because I had other hobbies going on. I was an equestrian for a super long time, so I wasn't really focusing on hobby music. I was just trying to get better at playing the violin. That was the goal for me. But I want to say at like 15, I tried writing a song and it was called Someone Crimson and it's out now, <laughs> but I really don't like it. But I feel mm. like people are just super critical of themselves with their own work. So I have had a lot of positive feedback from that song. And so I know that lots of people connect with it, which is awesome because I definitely don't connect with it anymore, but it still holds a special place to me just because it was the first thing I ever tried writing. And that's kind of where the writing stopped for me. At 15, I wrote that song and I was like, okay, that was fun, but I'm not going to do that right now. So I didn't pick up writing again until college. Like my freshman year of college is when I actually started writing my own music and playing guitar more. I do not know how to play the guitar. I still only know like basic Same. chords. <laughs> I just make things up. I don't really know what I'm doing. My boyfriend the other week literally just told me how to tell what chord I'm playing. <laughs> and I was like, it was, I was mind blown. I could not <laughs> fathom that I'd gone this long and I was like it's that easy like I understand like the string names matter and it was crazy I don't know why I just didn't it didn't yeah. compute with me but yeah so I was never like a creative writer and I think that's why I was intimidated by writing music because I was so good at academic writing and like research papers I'd always done super well with those and I just didn't know how to venture into the creative world hmm. at all but once I entered college, I decided that I needed an outlet. <laughs> I just needed something to do. And I loved music still. So I wanted hobby music to be a thing for me. So that's when I started writing more of my music. And that kind of coincided with the classical world of things because I started putting strings into my songs. But I don't really like doing that myself because I'm bad at improvising. But I've started doing that. And thankfully, I learned how to play the viola, which has been such a lifesaver 
that also happened in college when my professor, Dr. Libor Ondras was like, you're going to learn this and you're going to love it. And I was so in denial, but that seriously changed the game for me. Like music is so much more meaningful to me now because of learning how to play the viola. And I know that sounds really trivial and weird. Like you play the viola, everybody hates the viola, (laughs) but I love it so much. And it really also changed my career path in music because I decided to start studying it more seriously. And I already have an orchestra job as a violist in a professional orchestra, which is super cool. So yeah, that's, that's probably my journey with music. It's a little bit scatterbrained all over the place, but I'm kind of chaotic in like my timeline of things. So that's, that's that. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I think that there's no straight line in, in any life really. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. So how old are you? Are you 21? I'm 21. Yeah. Okay. And you're a junior in college? Senior. This year I will be a senior. Ah, Mm -hmm. There you go. Nice. Um, cool. So you played music earlier in your life and then someone was like, here, play this viola. And you were like, oh my God, this sucks. And then you were like, wait, this is great. And then you went to college and you were like, I'm going to do this. And then now you're in college and you're thinking about the future. What does that look like for you? I am really hoping that I can get a lot of students (laughs) in a private studio that I can have on the side of being a full-time musician in a professional orchestra. I would love that. I would also really love to be in a chamber group. Chamber music means so much to me because that's how I learned to play the viola was within the chamber music setting. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I want to do. And then I want to keep like hobby music as like an underlying side business so I can hopefully make some extra money to do things like have a ah, house. Yes. <laughs> ah, yes, music as the side gig. Nice. Good, yeah, good music as my side gig to music. <laughs> yeah, and music as the plan to make money is always a good plan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, cool, so I want to kind of circle back around to you, something you said earlier when you first got assigned the, the master. What was the position in high school? Concert master. Concert master, yeah. And you said, I'm not a leader. And then over and over again, you were a leader. So has your self-identity changed from not a leader to a leader? Or do you still think of yourself as not a leader? I now 100% think of myself as a leader. I have learned to speak up so much. And now I'm annoying, I feel like sometimes just because of my ability to be like, okay, we're doing it like this. You Stop arguing with me, you know? Um, And it's also hard when you're placed in like I was placed in a chamber group that had a very strong personality in it for the con like the concert master position of the chamber group so like the first violinist is considered that like leader but I was the violist in this group and I was like no I'm the leader too like I have opinions I have things to say so once I was placed in that chamber group a couple years ago I really realized that I am a leader now because I I can't put up with this (laughs) like I need my my opinions to be heard too even if they're not accepted fully I just need to say stuff and I need to put my two cents in which I never had the courage to do when I was younger right so did you just build that courage by necessity from being in the positions or like did you have to work at that on your own personal journey to build your your capacity for courage one of my guests called it I feel like me just jumping in and doing it and being forced to do it again being put under pressure to do it 
has made me build the confidence. I don't think that it was something that I really focused on to build. I think it just kind of happened gradually as, as necessity called for it. Hmm, cool. Yeah. So one of my, um, the speaker that I saw, he described authenticity as like the desire to share yourself without fear of like what people will think of you which is kind of it sounds like the journey that you've gone on or and are going on is like learning how to just say what you think right without caring like what people think and that's like courage too so cool good job yeah thank you um yeah I'm I'm interested because like I have never played classical music at all but I love to like not know how to play the guitar and sing some stuff um how do how do those two things like build on each other like, how do you learn how to be a better hobbyist musician from being classically trained? I don't really think, I think I'm pretty good about separating the two because if they combine, I'm going to lose my mind a little bit. <laughs> um, I, like I said before, I have a hard time putting strings and trying to write stuff on the spot for myself, for my own music. Gotcha. Just because I don't, know how to do that <laughs> I don't I love sheet music I love somebody giving me a piece of music and saying read that when it comes to my classical music and when it comes to me playing the guitar I love when somebody else will say okay here's the music like come up with melody and lyrics and blah 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 all this stuff because I'm not very skilled in the guitar I know basic chords a lot of my songs are the same two chords over and over and over again and then I just like put a capo in different spots on the guitar. And I'm like, yeah. sounds good. <laughs> That's what I do too. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I also like not knowing a lot of the theory behind guitar because I feel like I'm able to find things out and get super excited about stuff when I do something that I think is super innovative for my skill set. with that, because classical music is so degrading in a sense that I like to just have my hobby music be completely free of that degradation and just try to have fun with something because I get burnt out so easily with classical music because I'm doing it all the time and thinking about it all the time and comparing myself to other people that are around me and that I see online and it's it's just a lot so I try to keep hobby and classical separate for the most part hmm, cool is that what you mean by degrading? It's just like energy degrading? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's a mental thing, too, because I haven't been playing as long as some people, actually most people who are classical musicians, they start right. when they're like three or four or five. And I started when I was 11. And then I just picked up this instrument at 19 or 20. I don't know how old I was, 19 maybe that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn this instrument now. And I want this to be my career. I don't want the violin to be my career anymore full time. So it's just hard to see other people doing what you're doing, but doing it better and you trying super hard. And some of them don't have to try as hard because they yeah. had the technical foundation at a younger age and just were eased into it. And you had to like force yourself to do it. And I'm still working at, trying to not compare myself to others as much and trying to find my own voice in the musical community and I feel like that's a lot easier to do with viola because people expect a lot less from violists just because it's not as hmm. much of a craze as the violin is 
And that's also why I love the viola because I can sit in a leadership position as principal violist in my orchestra and still be considered a talented musician and be thought very highly of. But if I was playing my violin, I would have been probably in the back of the section just because I'm not that talented <laughs> at playing the violin. <laughs> so it's, it's cool to see my mindset change with that because I used to be really hard on myself because I wasn't a good violinist or I didn't think I was. And I was comparing myself to people who had been playing since they were little. And I just started viola a couple of years ago and I'm already like head of my section at my university. So that just was a big confidence boost for me that I feel like I needed. <laughs> and yeah, I forgot where I was going with that, but. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so I am curious about like, where your inspiration comes for wanting to write music because it sounds to me like you have a lot of intensity around your classical music career and performance and learning that but it's not necessarily like creative as much as it is like like reproductive almost of just like recreating what's already been created so when you are creating something completely new right like new words to a song new like chord progression of two chords like what does the the process look like for that and where do you find inspiration and and how do you how is it for you having an outlet like that um first of all the outlet is great i am so grateful that i was taught to play basic guitar so that i could even do anything like that um i would say when i'm burnt out classically is when i find a lot of inspiration for like hobby music and then sometimes i definitely get burnt out on that so i don't do it for a super long time but my inspiration for my music pretty much comes from the relationships I'm in, um, friends, just things that my family members will say or say, like, you should write a song about this. Or just that's, that's pretty basic of, like, where I get my inspiration. Or I just think of a really cool line that's all of my lines that are in the songs that I like a lot more are super metaphorical for things. And I, okay, one big thing in my life is that I've had a lot of like stomach and like GI problems. And I've had to go on so many stupid diets and like take so many things to try to fix me. It's still not fixed. And I get super annoyed and I don't complain about it a lot. So I complain about it in my music, but I make it sound nice. pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I feed off of the sad. So when I am sad, I am writing and then I make something really cool. And then I'm not as sad anymore because I yeah. just did that. <laughs> so that's really where I find my inspiration. A lot of it, though, comes from like, I'm in a super healthy relationship. It's the best relationship I've ever been in. Um, my partner is amazing. He is lovely. And I've written so many songs that are on my upcoming project that are about him. And I'm super thankful for that side of my music. And then I'm also super thankful for how messed up my body is so that I'm able to <laughs> write a bunch of super cool songs relating to that, but don't outright say like, my stomach hurts. It's not great. You know, <laughs> like I could make it sound yeah. pretty and fun. So that's pretty much where I find my inspiration mostly. Cool. Well, congrats on having Thank a good you. relationship and congrats on turning your sadness into art because that's Thank also you. great. Yeah. I think like for me personally, just having creative outlets is like one of the healthiest things that you can do as a human just because otherwise life kind of sucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So uh, you just said you're working on a new project. I've heard some of your songs on your Instagram, which are great. 
um, what does your new project look like? And like, what is the spirit of your work? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so I don't really know when it's coming out. It's more than half done. But I don't really want to call it an album just because I don't feel like I'm important enough to call it an album. Like I'm not up there in the music industry to feel like it's an album. It's literally just a project of like everything that I've written. It's in so many different genres and so many different styles. And I've just like smushed them all together. So they don't all go together. They don't all sound cohesive, but I don't want that. And I'm not going to leak the title <laughs> of my project yeah, no, yet, that's fine, yeah. but um, the title of it is a very good representation of the smushedness of it all and just how weird it is all put together. And some songs I like more than the others, but they were all my journey of writing music. And that's why I, all, I wanted all of them to be together on one work that I could release. So I'm working on that. Um, and the, I've got some poppier inspired things and I've got more like folksy, lyrically inspired things, but they're all relating pretty much to me complaining about my stomach <laughs> and my relationship that I'm in and things that my family members have said. Like I said, that they were like, you should write about this. This is a good song yeah. idea. So I've liked being able to incorporate those two because I think that's fun that they had an input and they were like, that would be good. And I was like, yes, it would. And then I actually did it. So I'm excited for that to actually be out because I think it's cool yeah. that it's all over the place. Because again, life's all over the place. So why not give a nice representation of life being all over the place for you to listen to? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. Um, I, so something you said earlier is that you wrote a song when you were 15 something red crimson Double crimson cool and um you no longer identify with it but there are people out there who do so i'm curious like as someone who puts work out into the world like how do you go through the process of feeling safe and and empowered to release something that you might not identify with in the future is that something you even think about or is it just like this is something i like now and so i'm gonna put it out there a lot of the time it's this is something that i I'm really proud of the work that went into it. So I'm going to put it out nice. because at the time I definitely thought that the song, like I, I wasn't a fan of the lyrics completely, but I thought the melody was really pretty. And I thought that my producer, Ryan Jam Gotch, who worked on that just did such an incredible job of creating the mood for the song, because as, as the song is the song, it's very good. Like, I think it's a very solid piece of artwork and I wanted to showcase his efforts in creating that. Cause I have no idea how production works. I see it happening, but I don't understand how they do that. My brain doesn't work like that. I don't know how you can just like, I'm so used to just acoustic guitar and vocals and yeah. that's it. Like, I don't know how to envision a mood for a song yeah. or a vibe. So it's really cool that people are able to do that because I, I do not have that talent and I respect it so much. And then my upcoming project has Ryan Jam Gotch working on it and another producer, Jeremy Hookstra, who is insane. And he is so good. Like I, I don't even have to tell him anything like for vibes or anything. I just record the very raw version of the song and he 
works his magic and he shows it to me and he's like is this what you were thinking and I'm like well no because I don't ever think anything I just like <laughs> do it and it's always incredible like he captures absolutely everything and more that I could have ever dreamed of and it's crazy that that even happens with music because again I'm not used to that I'm not yeah. used to the process I'm just used to like sitting on my bed making a song and being right. like that like was puking fun. your feelings out yeah yes exactly yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> Yeah. So I actually still to this day until you like just explained it, had no idea what a producer was, which is hilarious because I just like connected with a past podcast of my guest of mine. And he like is connecting me to this producer who like won a Grammy and is really cool. And I'm just like, awesome. But I'm like, what is a producer? Right. <laughs> I really just like, they're don't literally know. everything. They are yeah. everything. Yeah. But it seems like, like with music, there's like, there's the musician, like the face, right? But the face gets so much credit for projects that's just like not just them. You know, there's like so many people working on it behind the behind the scenes. And so one thing that I you said that I really loved is like you wanted to release this music because of someone else's really hard work, right? And what I've found is like on my journey and on my path to like do life the way I want to, when someone else like it's, it's never as easy for me to do something for myself as it is for me to do something for someone else. Right. And so yeah. I like love that. And you know, as soon as I'm accountable to like get on a zoom call and have a podcast episode with someone, I'm going to do it. Right. But before that, there's like the easy opt out thing. Yes. So yeah. Have you found that that's like true with your community of musicians and, or like, how has that integrated into your life and growth and all that jazz? Yeah, I am. I feel like I have surrounded myself with a bunch of people who are super like-minded in the sense that they strive to make the people around them better people. Like they want to be part of those people feeling really great all the time. And I, I've never had a lot of friends or anything like that, but ever since like college, I would say is where I started making super close friendships and finding people through social media like Instagram has been such a blessing for finding amazing people that I cannot wait to meet one day and I'm actually working on another side project <laughs> that's going to be more of like an EP style with somebody from New York and he's amazing and again just started getting into the whole production thing but he he will come to me with songs that he has written and he's like I'm not inspired by this can are you like can you do something hmm. with it so he's taking his work that he feels would be suited for me and we made one of my favorite songs ever together with a track that he wasn't inspired by but I was and now that's we both awesome. love it so that's just one example of how great this community is and how giving people are and how people want to build each other up and make something really cool together and not just throw something away because they don't like it they yeah. want to try to yeah, just build people up and do what they can to support each other, which is amazing. And I'm so, so grateful, especially for Instagram. Instagram rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like really interesting you say that because I agree. And I think Instagram rocks if you're using it as a tool for connection. But if you're just using it as like an outlet to like, you know, spiral in your bad feelings, it's super bad. Yes. Yeah, so like, did you do that at one point? And then how did you learn to use it better? Because I think that it's like a really, really powerful tool for entrepreneurs, artists, creators, but like it's easy to get trapped. Oh yeah. I have definitely, it's, it's basically in my burnout stages when I'm just super fed up with school and things like that, I will resort to my phone and I know that I'm doing it. I know that it's bad and I will just scroll and look at things and feel bad about myself. And that's when I have to be like, no, 
don't do that. So then I, I will delete the app from my phone, which yeah. is very helpful. And I won't go on it or post things for like months at a time. And it's such a nice cleanse for me. Um, and during those times when I'm not on my phone, I, I'm an avid reader. I love to read. Psychological thrillers are my favorite kinds of books. <laughs> so I always resort to a book when I'm feeling like that. And I'm like, no, I have to get off this. I just go read a book and I will sit and finish a book in a day. And it's my favorite thing. Nice. So that's, that's one way that I've learned to stop doing that on Instagram. And then I'll get it back when I'm in a better headspace and not so stressed out. Hmm. That's super cool. So I want to ask two things. One, I want to talk about books because I love books. And two, um, I want to talk about like, as a creator, how, like it's important to build your brand and build like a social media following. Maybe, I don't know if it is or not, but um, is that something that you think about with like deleting Instagram for a few months at a time? And then like, that sounds like it might be counterproductive if you like want to build it, but productive if you want to be a good person. So how do you balance like the strategy versus like the self-care aspect? I am way more self-care than strategy. My song Lavender Hue kind of blew up like unintentionally. I wasn't trying to get that song to blow up. I wasn't trying to do anything. Um, I actually wrote it for my boyfriend, Lake, and I gave it to him as a present. And then my friend, Ryan Jamgotch was like, hey, we should make this into an actual song and you can release it if you want. And I was like, that would be really cool. So that's what we did. And I, that was like my gift to Lake was like a better version of that 1am phone recording that I sent to him for mm -hmm. our whatever anniversary it was. And that I did, I literally did not do anything. People messaged me a lot and they're like, how did you get the following for that song? Like, how did you get people to hear it? And I'm like, all I did was right when it went out on all of the streaming services, I just put it on my story. I think it's just, it's honestly just a good song <laughs> that lots yeah, of yeah. people that lots of people like. And I don't even like I just I don't know, I have weird feelings about that song because I love it just because I wrote it for my boyfriend and I love that he loves the song. But it's just weird now that like people will listen to it and I'm just like that was like a sappy little cute thing that I wrote for him and now like everybody likes it. And I did nothing to get it to where it is. I literally did nothing. So it's hard for me to think about strategy because I don't really have a strategy. I hate talking about myself. I hate trying to promote myself. Um, doing this podcast, I was like, I'm just going to do it because my mom was like, you should just do that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, nice. I will. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't like to chat about myself. I'd rather like talk about somebody else or like something else. I don't know. But yeah, the strategy side of things never really came to me. It still hasn't. I know that it should a little bit because I do want people to listen to my upcoming projects because um, I'm really proud of the work that I've done and Ryan has done and Jeremy has done. So I really want people to hear them and listen to them and like them. So I guess I don't really know how to strategize. I'm more just focused on like making sure that I feel okay because <laughs> it again, it would make me uncomfortable to like feel like I'm pushing myself on people when they don't really follow me for me to push myself on them. They follow me because they like what I'm creating. So I don't feel like I have to do that. Yeah. No, I'm in the same boat. I was asking very selfishly because like I'm terrible at strategy. So, well, it's like, I don't know. My theory is that if I make good stuff and am myself, then the right people will come. 
Right. Yeah, that's like, that's exactly how I feel. That is exactly how I feel. I just aggressively yeah. like got really intensely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was very her, passionate about that. Your, your, your butts fell out. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So then circling back around to books. Oh, also just like good job coming on the podcast, even though it's something Thank you're you. uncomfortable with. I think it's you're doing you. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are some of your like life changing books? Mm. life-changing books beloved by tony morrison changed me for forever i had to read that in my senior year of high school is my ap lit class i had an amazing teacher and she assigned us that book to academically analyze and i have been so bad at that like i was always in the ap english courses throughout my entire life i'm like why Why am I in these? Because I didn't like to do that. And so finally, when we got to that book, I'm like, this is why I'm doing that. (laughs) Because this book is amazing. So that book was super life-changing for me, as well as, hmm, it's called Testimony. (laughs) This is very musician of me, but it's just a bunch of memoirs from Dmitry Shostakovich. I am so, so, so all about Shostakovich. He's my favorite composer. Um, For his, those of us who know nothing about him, yeah, tell us why. Okay, so he grew up in Soviet Russia, just super bad environment, and was so under scrutiny all the time from Soviet officials for every little thing that he was doing. And it was super dangerous to be a composer during those times. So the fact that he was willing to work his composer magic into being kind of spiteful within his works, but also meeting their requirements of, it was called socialist realism. Um, that was that was really cool that he was able to do that. And he ended up moving to the US later and stuff like that. But his works are just so depressing. And I love that. <laughs> and they're all super like they just sound they're beautiful but a lot of them sound super like on the atonal spectrum just like crazy I'm obsessed with them Shostakovich string quartet number eight he wrote that about himself um basically him like wanting to die like he just wanted to die and he wrote that piece but then he dedicated it to all of the people who had been affected in the Soviet Union at the time. So it was it was really cool that he was able to like cover up his own tracks for being like, this is actually about me. But instead he was like, no, it's about all of us, which was really cool because everybody was probably feeling very similar things to him. So I just love his ability to make the sad something super significant and bigger than just sad, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. So he sounds like kind of a, like a social activist almost. Oh yeah. Through his art. Is that something that you're interested in doing in your own, on your own path is like doing social activism through music or separate than music? I would love to do that at some point. I don't feel like I'm educated enough in a lot of things to be able to do that fully. Um, I've definitely like tried like just for fun, just with like the Black Lives Matter movement that has been super prevalent right now I did mess around with writing something and I did put it on my story a while ago and so many people were like this is really good but I haven't finished it because I don't feel educated enough to finish it (laughs) so I'm I'm still learning and I'm reading books and I am watching things and listening to things and just trying to again just educate myself I just want to be a better person so 
I, I do want to incorporate social activism at some point, but when I feel like I'm ready to. Right. Yeah. When you said that you're not educated enough, like for some reason I like connected that to music, but then I was like, wait, wait, no, like you can't write a song about something that you don't actually understand really deeply. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. definitely something that I've been feeling recently is just like the paralysis of like wanting to put art out into the world that like depicts what's going on from my perspective and like create to help and to inspire. But like at the same time, I'm just like, oh, maybe I don't know anything. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. is that really the platform that I want to be pre- releasing on? Right. And also right. like as white people, I think that we don't really have like the right right now to like yes. push our own I fully anyway, agree. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's really cool. And you know, there, there is like this BLM movement right now too, but there's also like so many other problems in the world. And so it's like, you can incorporate the social justice aspect of art into like any of them, right? Yeah. Like yes. women's rights or the environment or right. dot, dot, dot. I'm also, right, yeah, so. I'm a vegan. So I am like full fledged veganism all the time. And I, I feel like I'm a very responsible vegan. Like I don't ever freak out at anybody. My family all eats meat. I don't push my views on anyone. Um, but I definitely like will share things on my stories sometime on like Instagram and on Facebook, I'll share things. <laughs> yeah. um, but I try not to be in people's faces about it because I'm doing what I think is right and they don't have to do it. I'm just telling them the benefits of doing it without sounding preachy. too insane and preachy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of my best friends are vegan. I actually think like in the next 20 years, it's going to be like a lot of people and especially like as our generation becomes like the generation who is like having kids it's going to be exactly big transition and nobody will have seen it come well no none of the old people today will know what's coming but we do so nice yeah um that actually is a great segue into my next question which is like what are some other interests and passions that you have and then how do you like maintain your balance and time between everything you like um well, interests and passions. I love to read. We've discussed that. Um, veganism. I've been vegan for six years now. That's a long um, time. Yeah, I am in love with it. I have no problems being vegan whatsoever. Like it hasn't done anything bad for me. <laughs> um, only great things. And I actually went vegan after I stopped being an equestrian. Because my horses kept getting injured and I'm like, why are they getting injured? And then I'm like, they're not supposed to be forced to jump over this stick. Like, right. that's not a thing. And so I was like, okay, I get it. This was not meant for me. Like I have, my parents, God bless them. They put in so much money so that I could have two horses and show my horses and keep them somewhere and ride them all the time. Because that was a big passion of mine for like seven years. And I'm very thankful for that. And it was a super great opportunity. And I still love horses, but I don't want to ride them. (laughs) I just love them for what they are. Um, So around the time that I went vegan, I also decided that I wanted to adopt a cat. For my 16th birthday, I was like, I'm going to adopt a cat. It's going to be the best thing ever. I want to do it. I don't want a car for my birthday. I want to adopt a cat. So my parents were like, okay, you can adopt a cat. So there's this local shelter called Crash's Landing. And that's where I found my cat. She's on my lap right now. She's doing great. <laughs> Adorable. Um, and I started volunteering there a bunch and I was in love with it. And for a while in high school, I was like, I'm going to get into nonprofit work. Like I want to open up a nonprofit cat sanctuary. Like that's what I want to do. So I wanted to open up a nonprofit for a while. And then I was looking into everything that I would have to do schooling wise for that. And then I decided 
maybe not. Maybe I'm not like fully passionate about that, but I still want to like rescue cats. I think that'd be fun. And <laughs> just rescuing, rescuing animals in general. So I'm also obsessed with farm animals. So later in life, I'm hoping I can have a bit of property where I could rescue like goats and pigs and a cow and some sheep or something. Cause I just, again, I'm, I'm a vegan. I love the animals. <laughs> I really just want to like help them. And I think it'd be really fun to have like a little bit of a farm life going on because I'm definitely more of like country rural areas than city life. I'm not, I'm not oh, yeah. a city person. So yeah, I really would love that. Um, what else? Thrifting. Oh, thrifting, thrifting and antiquing. I love it. <laughs> I hate shopping so much. Like I always come home with a headache after because I hate it. I feel like it's just Same. the lights. I feel like it's the smells and the lights in the places, but they, I, it's such a big trip for me to actually go out and do it. But I always find such fun things and I have too much. And that's when I started Spiffy Toad, which is just like a small side business where I can sell the things that I've found that don't fit in my room because I'm living in one room right now. I don't have a lot of space for stuff. So I've started doing that, which is really fun. Um, and I also have a giant wall. Well, some of it's back here because it, it's overflow, but I have an entire wall that has a bunch of antique and vintage like pictures and artwork and stuff like that, that I've been collecting since I was in high school. And it's one of my prized possessions. I get compliments on it a lot. Um, and it was super fun to like find all of the pieces. And if I ever want, I can like exchange them out, but I just love them all so much that I'm probably not gonna do that. Nice, I think it's always really important to have different kinds of passion, especially as an artist, because then you can apply yourself to all different types of activities and still really enjoy your life. So I have a few more questions and one of them I will just get right into. When you come against the fear of releasing something or starting something, how do you get over that hump and then actually do it? Whether, whether it be music or starting like Spiffy Toad or anything like that you've done out in the public. Well, first with Spiffy Toad, just cause we just talked about it. Um, that was super easy for me to do just because I'm like, this is the perfect time to do something like this because I was able to donate half of the proceeds for the launch that I had done to Black Lives Matter organizations. That's awesome. Thank you. And that was so cool to be able to do that and actually like feel good about starting a small business, like side business like that, because it's just things that I love, things that I found. And I'm like, other people would like these too. So why not sell them and then do something good with the money? So I've done that with Spiffy Toad. And I'm very, very grateful that I was able to do that and have people who followed me who wanted to support that, which is awesome. Um, so I wasn't really afraid to start that at all. I wasn't nervous about it. I was super confident that what I was doing was something good. Cause I knew that like, if people wanted to get something, they knew that they were doing something good and supporting Black Lives Matter organizations. So that was, that was really great. In terms of music, um, I guess I'm I'm always nervous to record music just because I am again I'm so used to just the acoustic version of it and then I'm always very 
like I'm very apologetic <laughs> when I'm recording. Like every time I mess up, I, oh, it's so dumb, but I say sorry too many times. I'm like, sorry, can I do it one more time? Sorry, can I do it one more time? Like, why am I saying sorry? Like these people want to work with me. They don't care if it's going to take 20 minutes to get like one minute of the song done. Like they don't care. Um, so I guess I'm not really nervous to release it afterwards. I'm just re really nervous to record it and have that process of it happening because I, I really like hate recording it because I'm so critical of myself and I really am like, that sounded bad. Can I do it again? That sounded bad. Can I do it again? But I've been reassured multiple times that I get things done pretty quickly and they've worked with worse. Like my producers have worked with people who take way too long to do things. So I shouldn't worry about it. But I feel like that's the worst part for me. And the most nerve wracking part is actually getting in the studio to record things because I I also don't like to sing in front of people I don't sing in front of people I have not sang in front of people in a long time I was pressured by my drama teacher in high school when I was a freshman and a junior to perform in our school's talent show and she like signed me up for auditions and told me that I couldn't not do it so that was really rude um <laughs> but honestly thankful for it because I would have never done that but I couldn't do the first like the freshman year I couldn't make that work with my schedule so she was like fine you're doing it later so junior year she signed me up again and I was like well I guess I have to do it so I did it um and it was so scary because at that point again I hadn't sang in front of anybody I'd sang in front of my drama teacher and like two people who were with her like choosing the people to be in the talent show so I definitely had the worst voice crack of like nerves in the world when I first started this song. I was singing Bloom by the Paper Kites, <laughs> but after I got, yeah, it's beautiful. So like right after I got done with that first voice crack, I was fine, but that was super scary yeah. to me because <laughs> live is something that I'm very hesitant about. So then when I think of it on a larger scale, recording's not so bad. <laughs> Like the live performance is very spooky to me. So yeah, ultimately releasing music isn't what makes me nervous. I guess maybe if it like kind of takes off a little and I'm in a position where somebody's like, okay, here's an opportunity to perform live. Like, will you do it? Again, I'm one of those people who's like, okay, I'm going to say yes and do it and like make myself do stuff because that's just what I do. So I would feel the most uncomfortable ever and then be put in a position where I have to do it. And then people would show up because they've heard the music. So that's a little scary. <laughs> but that's, that's my two cents on that, I think, in terms of like releasing. I'm not too nervous about it. Just like the live stuff and recording is a little iffy. Cool. I'm just going to like mirror that back at you in like a few sentences just because I think it might be useful. So one thing you said is like, focusing on learning right and focusing on growth to saying yes to things that are you're uncomfortable with is like a good way to grow and then three like as something that you want to work on is just like not saying sorry and when you're when you don't need to so yeah I think those are all like really awesome things to work on and like good qualities to have um is there any like are there any questions that you've ever wanted to be asked in an interview that you just like would love to talk about that you can think of? I don't think so. I've never really been interviewed before aside from just like this music blog asking me questions about Lavender Hue because they wanted to do like a feature on the song, which was super cool. Yeah, I read um, that. 
but that that that's it. <laughs> I don't really I've never been in a position where somebody has been asking me questions before. How does it feel? It feels kind of weird because, again, I don't really like talking about myself, right. but I'm forcing myself to talk about myself. Um, so it just feels like I'm rambling on a lot about stuff that doesn't really make any sense or matter because I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so this will be fun to listen to to see what I'm yeah. actually saying. <laughs> um, yeah, so nobody's ever asked me anything. Yeah, it's kind of lazy interviewing on my part. So it's fine that if you don't have anything you want to say. <laughs> Um, okay. So just to like wrap us up, um, what does authenticity mean to you? It's a loaded question. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. (laughs) Uh, I guess what it means to me is just that I need to believe what I'm doing. Like if I'm believing what I'm doing, I'm not contradicting my values in any way I'm like an individual with an individual individual beliefs individual purpose I'm not like an imitation of outside forces or anything like that um I guess authenticity then is like doing what I'm doing to be true to myself and doing what I want to do and not doing what I should be doing based on societal molds and things like that yeah yeah totally and then how do you know that you're doing that like day to day how do you keep track of yourself I guess that's kind of a hard question (laughs) because I actually like do we know like do we know if what we're doing is actually truly ourselves because there are so many factors nowadays that are just overwhelming and it's hard to take a step back sometimes and think like Cause this question just like, it's, it's stumping me. I'm like, am I actually a good representation of myself or am I, is part of it false just because of social media and so many things and people and opinions and everything like that. Like, I know that I am built because I hear something like an opinion and I'm like, I believe in that. Like I, I relate to that. So it's gotta be me, you know, but it's hard to figure out if you're actually yourself so I guess yeah to to kind of keep track of that again limiting my time on social media or not going on social media when I'm feeling down on myself or super stressed out or burnt out or whatever because maybe that will influence me to do things that aren't authentically myself so again that's when I am like no I'm, I'm going somewhere else I'm reading a book I'm or I'm listening to a podcast or I'm learning about something else I'm not going to try to stare at people's pictures and like see what they're doing and be like I should be doing that I should look like that I should eat that so I it's it's a hard question because do we actually know (laughs) yeah as yeah as of right now I would say that I'm doing my best to be authentically myself and I'm taking the steps that I believe I should be taking to be myself but it's hard when you think about it like that because it's such a broad and intense question that yeah like do we do we really know (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting like while you were talking about that this is always my last question but actually like this brought up a lot so I feel like there's like two aspects to what you were talking about there's like the the literal aspect of like how do you watch yourself right and for you you said like when I hear myself saying shoulds right like when I should be doing x y or z then I stop and do something that I know fits with who I am, which is like 
that's a good strategy. And then on the other hand, there's like the philosophical part of it, which I think is like really easy to get caught up in and overthink and like just dive into like what, it, who am I, right? Like what is I? Like can we even have one of those, right? Like how do you define that? So it's like, and that I think is all less useful than, because it gets really easy to get lost in the weeds of that stuff, yeah. But it was just interesting. So thanks. It's actually like my favorite question to ask people because every I've never gotten the same answer from anyone. And I think that's hilarious because it's like, that makes sense because that's what authenticity is, right? So yeah, cool. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I don't think so. Okay, cool. So then where can people find your work and you and connect with what you're doing? Um, mainly Instagram. My username is Emma Benevich, all one word. Um, that's, that's the main platform that I use. I have a Facebook page. I don't go on it. <laughs> so Instagram's mainly the place that I go for social media things and like talking to people. But yeah, that's, that's the same name that's on all the streaming platforms and things like that. So Sweet. And I will put your name in the title because it's kind of hard to spell. So great. <laughs> um, Emma, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a pleasure and it's been really fun to hear how you have pulled together so many like disparate parts of your life into a cohesive you, which is really cool. So thank you so much for having me. I really have loved talking to you. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Authentic Path podcast with Emma. I really enjoyed talking to her and hearing her story and just watching how much joy she has about music and, and how enthusiastic she is about what she's doing. That is the whole point of this show is watching people really light up around what their passions are. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, I hope this helped you be more authentic in your daily life. And if it did, I would really appreciate you going and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton to get the podcast out there to new people and to help more people be authentic. So I hope you can do that. And I hope you enjoyed this and have a great rest of your day.